I'm going to look at um, the church in Thessalonica tonight. And uh, the reason I'm looking at this is about a year ago, just um, July last year, one, I have three Greek colleagues at work. Who, um, so one of them was getting married, and her home city is Thessalonica. Thessaloniki, as it's called. Uh, so if you put the, the shot up, you can see this is the, the, the city of Thessaloniki, the modern city. Now, the, the day before the wedding, the, the bride and groom had organized for us uh, a walking tour of the city. So we went, um, started off in the plaza there, and we walked around the city, and uh, the guide was showing us, showed us the Roman Forum, showed us quite a few historical uh, old arches, old buildings in the city. But near the end, I realized that she hadn't, she, she hadn't really mentioned about Paul and uh, where, where Paul came to the city. So I asked her, um, what about the Apostle Paul? Was he, where did he actually preach? And, and she pointed out, if you look up right to the top of the hill, you'll see that the, the city climbs from, the, from the, the sea upwards. And she said, oh, Paul would have been right up at the, the top. But it made me realize that he was actually you know, on the periphery of the city, and he would have been, you know, really away from the from the center of the city. So when I came back, I started sort of thinking about. He became quite interested in Thessaloniki, so I started doing a bit of uh, background reading on on the church. Now, the city that Paul came to, um, Thessalonica, would have had a population of about two hundred thousand in those days. It, it was founded. Uh, around 315 BC by uh, Cassander, um, who was uh, one of the military commanders of uh, Alexander the Great's uh, army. And he named the city after his sister, no, after his wife, Thessalonica, and she was actually Alexander's half-sister. So this is the city that Paul came to. Now, the population of Thessalonica now, well, the main city is about 300,000, but the urban area is about one million uh, people. So um, the, the site that Paul was supposed to, um, to have spoken at is, is now a monastery. It's up on the, right up on the hill up the back of the city. And that's, so I started looking into this and seeing where, um, how the church there had, had come about. So, so what I want to do tonight, I want to, first of all, look at, the, the reading that Neil uh, read for us in Acts 17, verses 1 to 9. This is when Paul went to Thessalonica to preach and, uh, and really evangelize the people there. And then I want to move to the book of First uh, Thessalonians and look at, well, look at chapter 1, but I'll look at some of the other aspects as well. Now, to put it all into context, um, the, the in the book of Acts, the latter half of Acts is all about mostly focusing on the, the, the three journeys that Paul made with his companions and then the final journey to Rome. Um, so the first, what we call the, the first, second, and third missionary journey. So the first missionary journey, Paul went with Silas and they went to, um, to, to Cyprus and they went to Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And then uh, they went back, to, obviously, to, to Jerusalem. They were at, at the Jerusalem Council. And then Paul and Barnabas decided to set off on another journey, which has become known as the second missionary journey. But they actually fell out because 
on the previous journey, uh, John Mark had been with them and he went back to, uh, he, uh, he left them. So Paul didn't want to take Mark with them, but Barnabas did. So they disagreed, and then in the end, Paul took Silas, and then along the way they met Timothy, and uh, it was Paul, Silas, and Timothy who ended up um, going to Thessaloniki. Now, before I, I look at it, I, I want to sort of point out that there's really three very important things that allowed the, the ministry, to, well, the, the, the whole ministry in Acts was really um, providentially dictated by three, three important factors. The first one was the Roman Empire. Now, uh, I teach uh, I, I teach engineering, and one of my one of my third year courses is on transport engineering. And I actually start my first lecture with I look at uh, history of transport and history of roads, and primarily, and I show the students this slide, and you can see here the Roman road network from really started around 300 BC up to about 500 AD uh, in our calendar. The Romans, as you know, built uh, one of the most comprehensive road networks uh, that was built for about 2,000 years. Nobody even came close to, when I, when I talk to my lecture, I talk about this, the Roman road era, and for about 1,500 years, nothing really happened of significance until probably the days of John McAdam in the, in the 19th century, and then eventually the 20th century with the German autobahns and the American interstate. So, um, but the, the, the Roman road network really allowed uh, the people to start traveling, and of course the, the, the road network was built for mainly for military purposes. Then the second thing that allowed the gospel to spread out was um, the, the, the Greek uh, era, and if you go to the waterfront in Thessaloniki, you'll see the statue of Alexander the Great. Now, Alexander the Great came along 300 years before, before Christ, and as you know, he was uh, one of the, the, in his generation, he was, a, he, he died when he was 32, and what he, what he packed into his 32 years is amazing, because he, he conquered Asia, he conquered right across to India, and of course, cities like Alexandria were, were named after him. But what Alexander did was he, he spread the, the Greek language, Greek philosophy, Greek, Greek education, Greek literature right across the, the known world as it was then. So by the time Paul came to Thessaloniki, Greek was the, 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 the common language. The, the Bible had been, the Old Testament had been uh, translated into Greek at that time as well. So Greek, the Greek language was really the mechanism by which the gospel spread. And then the third thing that I that that was really important was the the Jewish dispersion. So the Jews had had um, started um, leaving Palestine uh, and spreading out over the the known uh, world at that time. They had reached many many cities uh, in in. Um, in Greece and Turkey, right across uh, that area. And the, the slide that I've shown there is um, the Via, the famous Via Ignatia, which connected the city of Byzantium with um, the, the route across to Italy and then onwards to Rome. So Thessaloniki is actually located on the Via 
Ignacia, and it was actually um, a very important city because the, the, the country of Greece, as we know it, was divided into two provinces, two Roman provinces, Macedonia in the north and uh, Achaia in, in the south. And uh, of course, Alexander the Great had, was from Macedonia and he had spread right across uh, the, the Greek language, across uh, the, the region. So Jewish people had come, they, they had dispersed, they had migrated to cities like Thessaloniki. They brought with them, they came for reasons of commerce, they came for reasons, maybe there had been war or persecution had forced them out of, of Palestine, and of course Paul himself was very much instrumental in, in, uh, in, in that uh, persecution as well. So, so these are the three things that really um, allowed the gospel to spread. There was the, the Roman Empire, the Greek language really, and then the, the Jewish dispersion as well. Now, the, when we, the, the reading that, that um, Neil read in, in Acts 17, if we backtrack to the previous chapter, we saw that we can see that um, Paul had been in Philippi before, before he went to Thessaloniki. And um, Philippi, of course, um, he he went. There was no there was no Jewish synagogue in Philippi, so he went to to um, near the river where there was people made for prayer, and led to the conversion of Lydia. And then eventually, Paul was put in prison, and the Philippian jailer was uh, was converted as well. So, following the ministry in Philippi, Paul then moved on to Thessalon, uh, Thessalonica. And if you look at um, the, the the next map that I put up, that, well, that's uh, the, the Via Ignatia. You can see that Paul received the, 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 the famous call uh, to come to Macedonia when he was in Troas, and then he goes across the sea to Philippi, and then eventually comes to Thessalonica. Thessalonica is about 100 miles south uh, west of Philippi, so it would have taken about two or three days to make the journey. You see from verse 1 of, of chapter 17, it says, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. So um, Paul, um, Paul then, of course, the first thing he does, as he did in, in a lot of places he went to, he would look for the Jewish synagogue. And we see that in, in, in verse 1 as well. So in verse 2, as, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Now, that... The, 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 usually, the, the, obviously, there was a community of, of Jews in Thessalonica at, at this time, and they were, they were obviously, they, they, there was enough Jews to, for a synagogue to have been built. Um, and the practice in the synagogue was pe that people would go to the synagogue, and even outsiders would sometimes be able to, to preach or give a message or, or speak, and that's uh, what happened with Paul. But it doesn't necessarily necessarily mean that Paul only spent three weeks when he was in Thessalonica. I think it, it implies that he, he preached, he was able to preach at the synagogue for three weeks, but then maybe the, the Jews uh, resented his message and they, they, they no longer wanted him to, to uh, speak in the synagogue. It's probably very likely that Paul spent maybe a few months in, in, in Thessalonica. He was a tent maker and there was uh, possibilities that he was he worked when he was there as well. So um, the the audience where well, we see from um, verse verse four 
that it wasn't just Jews who were present in the synagogue, there was also God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women as well. Now, so, so the synagogue at that time would have attracted um, a lot of um, Greeks who are maybe had an interest in God. Remember that Greek, Greek um, culture was very much about multiple gods and people worshipped gods and there were temples and shrines and everything. But some people had obviously been attracted to the Jewish religion. Maybe the, the thought of you know, one God and, uh, uh, and there was quite a lot of things about the Jewish teaching, the Old Testament teaching that was quite attractive to them. So, uh, so there was a multiple, multiple um, races and, and peoples within the, the, the synagogue at, at this time. And uh, Paul goes into the to the to the synagogue, and we, we read in um, verse two, three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. So he goes in. He he's he's using the scriptures. He's explaining. He's proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. So um, I want to stop here a minute because um, if you think about this, I. I like to read a little bit of background history too. It's really quite, uh, gives you quite an insight into the Bible when you read some of the background history. Now, one of the things that frustrates historians is that Luke, in both Luke and Acts, he doesn't really tell you dates about when this happened, when this this happened. If we were writing something, we'd probably say, oh, in 1st of July 2018, I, I went here. But... We think that Paul came to Thessalonica around maybe the year 49, possibly 50. And if we track back, there was a, one of the, the books that I read is a guy called Paul Barnett. He was a, a pastor in Australia, but he's also a, a teaching fellow at Regent College, Vancouver, and also Moore College in Sydney, Australia. He dates the death of, uh, the death of Christ at the year 33. So, and he, he reckons that maybe Paul was converted at year 34. So this is about year 49, which is uh, about 15 years later. And if you look back to, to the, the, the last chapter of Luke, when, when Jesus, after Jesus' resurrection, and he, went, he met the, on the road to Emmaus and also the, the, the disciples, he, he talked to them about, I'll turn back and quickly... Read that he talks. He explains that to them the gospel, and he started. He talks to them, um, beginning with Moses and the prophets, verse twenty-seven of chapter twenty-four, and then later on, when he meets the disciples, he's um, he said, uh, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law, and law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So obviously. Um, Paul, by, by this time, he had developed, Paul and also the other leaders in the church had developed uh, quite a, a substantial Christology. They understood who Christ was, which is pretty amazing. When you read that in Luke, you know, when Peter denied Jesus, he didn't really understand Jesus' role. But beginning of Acts, Peter is preaching in the um, day of Pentecost, and he's got a very clear understanding of who Christ was. And if we read through the book of Acts, we can see there's quite a large number of sermons there. There's three from Peter, one from Stephen, five from Paul, where they have a very, very clear um, uh, understanding of who Christ was and the role of Christ. So although um, chapter 17 
and, and he does, it's only really covered in the van, one verse. But I reckon Paul went into the synagogue and he, he preached from, from um, using the Old Testament. He would have gone back and explained to them all about um, the, the Old Testament, God, the Creator, the role of Christ, and then he really reinforced that why Christ had to die and also his resurrection and, and his coming, coming again. So, um, obviously the Jews reacted badly to the message. They, they, some people believed. We saw the, 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 some Jews believed that a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. Now, the, the prominent women, uh, I understand, were that a lot of women in Thessalonica and some of the Roman provinces would actually have had a very significant role in society at that time. So um, that, that's why he mentions them in, his, um, in, in the reading. But then, of course, the Jews turned against Paul. They didn't be objective to, to his message. They, they didn't want to accept uh, this message about Christ. So what do they do? They, they go to the marketplace. They, they get together a mob, and they... they, um, they Brought, um, they went to look for Paul, but they, obviously Paul had been staying in this uh, Jason's house. But um, they found Jason and they, they brought them before the, the authorities. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to manipulate the, uh, the people to show that, that Paul was preaching an alternative to, uh, to Caesar because obviously that, uh, they, 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 they were calling Jesus a king when, when uh, you could only refer to Caesar as a king. And uh, that, that, and if you went against Caesar, then it was treason, and you could be you could be killed for for, for saying that. So that's what happened, and they, and so eventually Paul had to had to leave Thessalonica, and we read in, in verse ten as we continue on to the the next section. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul uh, and Silas away to Berea. So. Um, if we had, if we had only had that section in Acts to read, then we would probably think that Paul's ministry in, in Thessalonica had been a, a bit of a disaster. But what I want to do now is I want to jump forward to First um, Thessalonians chapter one. And uh, I'll read that. I'll read the, the the chapter and then I'll just mention a few things about uh, about that. Um, so, chapter one, First Thessalonians. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We always thank God for for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. 
Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So, this the, we reckon that, well, we, we think First Thessalonians could have been the first book written, first New Testament book that was written, although some uh, historians think that maybe Galatians was written just slightly before uh, Thessalonians. But it was one of the first um, books that, were, that was written, that were written in the Bible. But I want to, sometimes we, we, we look at things and we don't see the very first verse, it says, he says to the church of the Thessalonians. Now, if we go back to Acts and we see, we look at what happened in Acts, we probably think there's no way a church would have sprung up in, in Thessalonica. We don't know. Paul had to leave so that the believers there were left to their own resources. So obviously they had they had got together, they had built up a community there, uh, and they started meeting as a church. We don't know if it, maybe there was, they were meeting in Jason's house. We, 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 we have no idea, really. But um, Gresham Majan says about this, he said, in the history of the early of early Christianity, the real surprising thing is not that so not so much that the Gentile churches were founded as that after they were founded, they endured. They were surrounded by heathenism and immorality. They were subject to persecution. So it's um, it looks surprising to, but it's not shouldn't really be surprising to us because we know that God was in this and. Paul was miraculously called in a vision to come to preach in Macedonia, the first, um, the first um, gospel preaching that was in, the, in Europe, as we know Europe uh, today. So um, after Paul left, left um, Macedonia, he went uh, Thessalonica, he went on to Berea, and then he moved down. Uh, I think I've got another map showing the, the route that he took. You can see there he went to Berea, then he went on to Athens. So we read about both of these churches in Acts 17. And then finally he finished off in, in Corinth. Now, the, he, he sent Timothy. He was really concerned about the church back in Thessalonica. He wasn't sure. He didn't have any reports about what happened to them. But he was really concerned about them. So when they were in Athens, he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to find out exactly what had happened to the church. And by the, by, by the time Timothy came back, we think Paul had moved on to, to Corinth at this, at this point, and he wrote this first letter to Thessalonians from, from Corinth. Now, you can see that his relief, you know, he was in his, and he starts off um, the, the, the letter by talking about, we give thanks um, we always thank God for all of you in verse 2, mentioning you in our prayers. So he, he didn't really know what to expect, but I, I guess he was he was hopeful, but at this point unsure of what had happened to them. But they had they had developed as a church. They had, they had got together as a church, and they were actually uh, progressing really uh, quite well under the, the persecution that they were facing in, uh, in, um, in the city. So I just want to mention because a few things um, in in verse three, uh, verse four and five. First of all, he talks about um, um, for we know 
brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with word, but also with power. So, first thing is, you know, that these people had believed. You know, Paul had come to them, he had preached to them, and that they had believed. So, how did this all happen? Well, we see from, from the text that um, it's obviously saying that uh, salvation begins uh, with God. Uh, because um, he has chosen you. So we can see that um, God had chosen them. They had Obviously, God had, had pre-planned from all eternity that these believers would, would come to believe in Jesus. And also, their conversion, there was the miraculous conversion, because remember, these people were living in, in a society with multiple uh, gods, multiple idols, and they came to believe in one God and they came to be, uh, believe in Jesus. They, they, they had faith, they, they trusted in, in, in Jesus, they, they, had, they repented, they turned from their idols uh, and followed the, the, the true God. Also, you can see as well that there's a bit of a, a Trinitarian thing here because uh, you can see that Jesus is mentioned, God the Father is mentioned, and the Holy Spirit is mentioned because uh, there was a spirit that came in power. And if we go back to the very beginning of Acts, we read about uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, you will, be, uh, you will receive power. And then the second thing I want to, to touch on is the gospel message. I touched on this a little bit before about wondering about how exactly did Paul, did Paul um, communicate the gospel to them? Well, he would have, there was no New Testament, so he would have gone back to the original, to the Old Testament. He would have been preaching Greek, obviously. He would have, um, he would have started with God, the Creator. He would have talked, probably talked about the fall of sin. He would have talked about the, the prophecies, the, the Old Testament prophets. And he would have pointed, he would have finished off by probably talking about Christ, why why he came, why he died, and, and the fact that he was going to he was going to come back, and then we see um, in the text as well in in, um, in verse three. He, this is a, something that Paul has used previously, and especially First Corinthians thirteen, where he talks about um, the the trio: faith, love, and hope. So there he, he commends them on the the. Um, your faith, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. Um, that word endurance in the ESV is, is uh, the ESV uses steadfastness, which is, I think, a, a really good word because it shows that um, they were unwavering, if despite the persecution they were facing, they were completely unwavering. They were loyal to 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 God and to to. Uh, Jesus and their, and their belief on, on, in the church. So the gospel. Well, this is a, there's been a, a real focus, not great of focus on the gospel in recent years. There's, a, there's been a lot of books written about the gospel, and a lot of this has come primarily from some North American sources, like for example uh, the Nine Marks movement, which came out of uh, Capitol Hill Baptist in Washington, I think, and um, I've read quite a few books by, I'll quote um, the pastor called J.D. Greer. He, this is what he said, in sort of, like sort of a summary of, he's got a book called The Gospel, 
And he says, the gospel is the announcement that God has reconciled us to himself by sending his son Jesus to die as a substitute for our sin, and that all who repent and believe have eternal life in him. So and there's another book by Greg Gilbert, What is the Gospel? And again, he's said there's a really a good uh, comprehensive overview of the gospel as well. Most of these are actually available. If you have a Kindle, they're usually, they only cost a few pounds, and they're really worth a read. One of my favorite, one of my favorite authors that I've been reading quite a lot recently, just discovered him last year. Not very many people have probably heard of him. His name is William P. Uh, Farley. He's a pastor in Spokane, Washington in the U.S. And he's written um, a book. One book he's written is called Hidden in the Gospel, Truths You Forget to Tell Yourself Every Day. It's a really practical book, just explaining that he, he he said in his introduction, he said that he was a Christian for 25 years before he actually discovered that somebody told him about preaching to yourself. So he's written this book in a way, little sort of snippets of chapters, preaching to himself and things that he likes to remind himself of every day. And, it's, and he covers all the essential uh, aspects of the gospel as well. So, um, let me move on to just men I'll mention that I've mentioned the, the persecution and affliction that the, the, the believers in Thessalonica were facing. And um, we know that you know persecution does strengthen the church. Uh, we think of the, the famous quote from uh, Tertullian who said um, that persecution often leads to strong to a stronger church because the blood of the martyrs becomes the seed of the church. And also Martin Luther once said as well, Christ was crowned with thorns, were you expecting roses? So, that, you know, we've seen that across the world in recent times in different countries and still ongoing in many countries today where persecution uh, does happen. So generally the, the whole letter to the, to the Thessalonians, he's, he was pretty positive in, in a lot of things, but he also picks them up on, they weren't perfect, he picks them up on a few things. For example, later on, in, uh, he talks in, in chapter 1 and verse, um, verse 6 about you became imitators of, of us and of the Lord. But later on in chapter 4, he starts to um, really challenge them about some of their, 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 um, their sanctification, their holiness, especially on sexual matters that they were uh, there was a few issues that, that he brought brought out, and also in the, he then goes on to write obviously the second uh, letter to the Thessalonians, and in that letter he he uh, obviously some people had stopped working and they were depending on they were really living off other people and and not pulling their weight and he, he challenges them as well on that. But one of the things that he really focuses on between the two letters is the future. There's a lot of confusion about um, the return of Christ and the future. And uh, some, it was obvious that some of the, the Thessalonians had died. We're not sure if they had died in the persecution or they had died naturally. But they were very unsure about the, the destiny of these, uh, these individuals who had already died. And, so, and some people were also confusing them that maybe Christ had already come back and uh, so Paul tries to, to uh, point that out to them as well. So, um, 
as I bring it to, to a conclusion, really just uh, we can learn quite a lot from, from this book, Thessalonians, uh, first and second Thessalonians, Paul's ministry as well, um, applying it to our own situation. We, we, um, we need to understand, we saw that God used a lot of providential um, aspects in society to, to spread the gospel through, throughout Asia and Europe. Um, primarily through the, the Roman Empire and the Greek language. And also, we have, um, we live in a world today, we have to look at the signs of the times. There's a lot of things going on. Um, we live in a city, a prominent city, Edinburgh, uh, which Thessalonica would have been a, one of the leading world cities in its day. We live in a fairly prominent city here, capital city. We have four universities. We have very international uh, orientated city now, but we also live in a city where maybe only, what, 5% of people are in church today. Uh, so there's a lot of challenge for us as a church as well, how we how we reach out. There's also challenges throughout the world. I mentioned my my own um, um, trips to, to Myanmar. I, I spend, I've spent a lot of time in China. I, I go to China uh, I was teaching in China for about se seven years uh, on and off, just uh, from here, of course. And I go to churches in China, which are packed out. I go to churches in Hong Kong, which are packed out. But I go to, in three weeks' time, I'll be going off to the Middle East to um, a place which has got virtually the Muslim population, virtually no Christians uh, at all. The only churches in the Middle East in the, where I go is uh, usually expats who meet. In, uh, in, uh, but in English-speaking churches. So there's a real challenge for, for countries like Myanmar, for example, which is primarily Buddhist. Um, there's very few Christians, and the, and the little church in Rang uh, Rangoon is just a very small number meeting together every Sunday as well. But the, the, the letter to Thessalonians can give us a lot of uh, encouragement because... I think what it shows very much is that they were together as a community. They were really working as a community. And I think um, I'll just finish off by um, a few weeks ago, James, on one of the, the Wednesday night um, church evenings, he mentioned uh, a bit about um, how we develop points of contact. Now, in Paul's day, his point of contact was usually going through the synagogue. Uh, and that's where he where he uh, would be a starting point. For us, it's a big challenge because we no longer have people coming through our doors every Sunday. Um, times have changed, so we now, have, as a church in Duxbury, have to look at how we can develop points of contact, which is something that, that James has been, has been uh, emphasizing quite a bit. And I'll finish off by just pointing out one of the quite a few a significant thing that he mentions, Paul mentions in, in, in the letter to Thessalonians and it's prayer. Now he starts off in, in verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. And then later on in, in chapter 3, verse 11, he says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. 
may he strengthen your hearts that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So I think for us as a church, we, we need to really explore how where the, our points of contact are going to be and how we can, we can uh, reach uh, maybe it's through our work, through our colleagues, through our friends and neighbors, um, through other, other means as well. So thank you for listening. I'll finish off there.